forever. Dog. Hey, everybody. Lindsay Katai here. Kelly Nugent here. And we are releasing a special episode this week. We are releasing uh, one of our brand new public domain theater episodes. Because it's back, baby. Because, A, we want to promote that. Yeah. You can get these episodes now to a month by subscribing to Patreon, to our Patreon, patreon.com slash teencreeps. Mm-hmm. There's a second very fun reason why we're releasing this episode this week is because Kelly got married. Yay! And then immediately after, got sick. Got sick. So it took a week off. This allows this allows Kelly, allowed Kelly a little bit of downtime. Yeah, which was very needed. So I um, appreciate your flexibility, Lindsay. And I appreciate always. your flexibility, listeners. Yes, thank you. We um, appreciate you for And also that. gives you a little tasty taste. Yeah. Of We're back and same as ever. <laughs> Maybe better. That's up to you to decide. That's up to you. Maybe worse. We might be worse. We think um, same. We think same. Um, so yeah, take a listen. And if you like what you hear and you want more PDT in your life, mm-hmm. you get you get two a month. Yep. Uh, on Patreon and then um, and that's you know what that's at the five dollar level, my friend. We're not locking that behind eight. No. So you get five. Uh, you get two two. Uh, Two, two PDTs. PDTs and then two we fill in the gaps minisodes, yeah. of, with mini for yeah. the month. So um, it's a lot of extra content. And then, of course, at the $8 plus, you're in a raffle to choose our Outside Genre episode and you get to listen to the Outside yeah. Genre episode. So you get, you get all the previous perks plus that Outside Genre app. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you get like stickers and a photo of me. that Those cornrows. And white girl cornrows. <laughs> So that's fun. Yeah. Um, we appreciate everybody who currently listens. We also have a brand new level that we threw in for the fuck of just it. Just for what, just, the, what the Just to see what happened. Yeah. This is our new level. It is our producer patron. Hell yeah. If you feel like being very generous and want to donate at a $15 a month level, mm-hmm. we will thank you at the end of every Teen Creeps episode for being a producer. Yeah. A part producer of the podcast. Yeah. So you got the $5 stuff, the $8 thing. And, and you get everything And else. you got a thank you. And you get a personalized thank you at the end yeah. of the app. So How that's, nice is that? That's mostly if you want to be generous. Mm-hmm. Oh, since we're thanking people, it's I do want to thank um, the listener that sent us the cold brew. Oh, yeah. It is it's so good. We had a conversation about cold brew. So she sent us some. Yeah. Plain cold brew. And we also got oat milk draft lattes from La Colombe coffee and it is so freaking delicious we loved it so thank you so much to listener jack marie and your husband who's the one that hooked us up with la colombe and it is seriously it is really good cold brew so thank you thank you so much really appreciate it very cool and now you guys please enjoy this very special episode of public domain theater this one is called the schoolmaster's progress by caroline M.S. Kirkland. Enjoy. Welcome to Public Domain Theater with Kelly Nugent and Lindsay K. Tai. This week, The Schoolmaster's Progress by Caroline M.S. Kirkland. Welcome to Public Domain Theater, the podcast of highbrow readings and lowbrow commentary. I'm Lindsay Katai. I'm Kelly Nugent. And as stated today, we are reading The Schoolmaster's Progress by Caroline M.S. Kirkland. Yeah. Unfortunately, the 
birth year uh, and oh, it was death shown year were just shown to me. So we so can't do that know. fun guessing game. 1801 to 1864. Um, but hit me with some Kirkland facts, Kelly. You ready? I ain't never heard of this woman. Me neither. Um, so I found this from a compilation on Gutenberg of humorous American stories. <laughs> well, we'll fucking see if we have a similar idea of what humor is. Won't we, Gutenberg? I know. Us and um, people in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um. She was a relatively early American writer. She wrote three books about frontier days on the Michigan frontier. Yeah, she was born in 1801. Yeah, died 1864. Um, she also... It's like a Laura Ingalls Wilder deal. Yes. Kelly is just adjusting her mic real quick. Here we go. Nice. Um, I like where you put it. Thank you. I think it, it looks like an, it's in a good spot. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, she also was an editor, a, muse- a magazine editor. Um, and apparently she was a really uh, skilled review writer. Guess what? She loved Herman Melville's early books. Oh, everybody loved Herman. Everybody loved Herman. Um, she was born into a middle class family in New York City. Um, and that's where she spent most of her childhood and adolescence. Oldest of 11 children. Woof. Yes. My sympathies with her mother. Yes. Uh, Samuel and Eliza Alexander Stansbury. She grew up in a loving and tolerant family. Enjoyed many advantages as a girl. Her mother was a poet. In what way? Well, so her mother was a poet and fiction author. Mm -hmm. And Caroline later revised and published some of her mother's work in her own gift books. Um, and her family although it wasn't well off, had social position. So she got to go to her aunt's prestigious school for young ladies. And she was always at the head of the class. She excelled in music and dance. Oh, everybody must have fucking hated her. I know. Um, her father died when she was 21. Mm. So then she was the one that was mainly responsible for the rest of the family. Oh, oh yeah. So, Cause there were a bunch of little kids. Yeah. So, so she was like, we got to move out of the city. We got to go to upstate New York in Clinton, Clinton. where she was teaching. So she was teaching at this time. So then she meets William Kirkland, who's also a teacher Ooh. at Hamilton College. They get married, 19, I'm sorry, 1828. They had seven children, four of whom survived early childhood. Ugh. Sad. Um, they settled in Geneva, New York, where they founded the domestic school for boys. Wow. A very sure. educational family. Yeah. They believed their students should live as part of their family. Hence the name domestic school. Oh, so she was caring for her own children and the resident children. Oh, okay. They moved to Detroit, Michigan, which is little more than a Western frontier town. Um, Making cars. Yeah. A little Western frontier town that made cars. So then her husband is like, you know what? I'm tired of teaching. I want to buy land and I want to found a city. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he buys land 60 miles west of, De- of Detroit in Livingston County. By the end of the year, he owns 800 acres. And with his father, they control 1,300 acres together. Please um, tell me that somehow she has something to do with Kirkland's signature. Of oh, Costco my God. Fame. I hope so. <laughs> so then he's like, all right, family, let's move out there. He founds a town that Caroline, she named it Pinckney. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, if that's that's what you want to do. I mean, fine. If you want to name it that, you want to name it that. right. 
So she um, wrote about, uh, so what she did was she, oh, they built a log cabin um, until the how like the big house was made mm-hmm. and she raised her children um helped her husband to develop the settlement befriended other women went to the social affairs and observed the people who lived in their community from which she wrote stories about um evidently her family's appreciation of her stories encouraged her to produce a series of sketches of life in michigan territory mm-hmm. um she it's partly satirical uh, it's a, a look at the trials and tribulations of traveling to the West and adjusting to life on the frontier. Uh, oh, guess what? Guess who liked Nathaniel her writing? Hawthorne. No, someone we don't like. Someone we do. Oh, Poe. Yep. <laughs> Poe is public domain theaters. R.L. Stein. Yep. <laughs> but then, oh my God. So her neighbors are like, you're writing about us. <laughs> Stop so then it. they all like, they felt exposed and like Aww. started um, like ignoring her. And then so her and her family are outsiders in their own village that she named. Oh, no. So then she's like, oh God, I didn't mean oh, to. Caroline. She gets so stressed out that she and her husband get sick. Um, what? Yeah. And then she, to, to her death, she was like, you know what? No, I, I was trying to like, show that like the, their humanity i wasn't trying to make fun of them but too bad so but anyway so then her her and her husband are like we gotta go i believe you caroline and i haven't she, read it yet but i believe you we'll see what if it's believe just so women. mean um so she's like we gotta go they leave they go they leave michigan also they like did not make enough like any money founding kirkland uh, okay or i'm sorry founding pinckney founding kirkland signature yeah, found it. So, so they had to found a textiles factory. Oh my god, that'd be amazing. No. So then they're like, ugh. Like also she was like, I'm like ostracized here. So they left. Yeah. They go back to New York City. Um, and he founds his own newspaper, which makes me feel like it's probably not He's obsessed with founding things. It's called the Christian Inquirer. And okay. she opens a school for girls and she keeps writing. Um, and then her home was a literary salon and she often entertained publishers and other notables. Uh, oh my God. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Okay. Her husband was nearsighted and hard of hearing. Okay. In 1846, he accidentally walked off a pier and drowned. (laughs) (laughs) What? Oh no, that's really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. He just walked off a pier and he drowned. Okay, but they have glass. No, I know. Maybe he just didn't want to wear them. Maybe he. But it might have been so bad. It also might have been so bad that like, because there are some eyesight. Like I have friends who like, even if they wear glasses or contacts, it's not enough, and they have to wear a combination. So I'm sure in the 1800s. Sometimes though, th- families try to. Yeah, they're like, oh, he just fell suicide. Yeah. Um. So anyway, he died. Because my aunt tried to um, make my dad's death sound really like alcoholism. Really? Mm -hmm. They were like, sorry, we can't. Like, because it was cirrhosis, like liver failure failure due to chronic alcohol Mm -hmm. abuse. And she was trying to get them to remove the chronic alcohol abuse part. And they were like, sorry, it's our official diagnosis of his death. Yeah. We can't 
change that. Yeah. Wow. But okay, so maybe he just... To avoid, like, a stigma. Maybe he... Who's to say? That just jumped out at me as yeah. being crazy. I mean, yeah, that's sad. So then she's like, oh, God, what do I do? So she starts really depending on her writing and also, like, trying to reach out to friends to help her support herself and her children. Um, She was the sole support of herself and her four children. Uh, She, like... Became friends with Charles Dickens, Robert and Elizabeth Barrett Brownings, and Harriet Martineau. Um, blah, blah, blah. La, la, la. Biography. <laughs> she helps her son establish a literary career. Um, Joseph Kirkland learned the technique from his mother. He wrote in a very similar way as her. Uh, she wrote in a very realistic way. Realism. Blah, blah, blah. She was a quiet champion of women's rights and a strong opponent of slavery, was deeply committed to the union effort through her work for the U.S. Sanitary Commission through the Civil War. Um, oh, yeah. Kirkland. Her son enlisted in the Union Army. Uh, Joseph. Oh, God. Joseph is getting a lot of uh, airtime in this article. <laughs> um, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. During her life, she got um, quite a bit of recognition for her writing. Um... And to this day is studied in relation to style contributions to American literature and, and the influence of the female perspective. Huh. Um, she died in her sleep. Hmm. How old? I 1864. Forget. And she was born in 1803. Oh, she's 63. Yeah. 1801. Wait, 1801. 1801. Yeah. 63. That's young. That is young. That's young. I guess it's about average for, for now. Yeah. For now it's young. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, you ready to hear some st- hear some story? Yes. Let's see how fucking realistic this really is. <laughs> yeah, I'll fucking be the judge of this realism. Thank you. Master William Horner. Okay, and this is called The Schoolmaster's Progress. Master William Horner came to our village to the school when he was about 18 years old. Tall, lank, straight-sided, and straight-haired with a mouth of the most puckered and solemn kind. His figure and movements were those of a puppet cut out of shingle and jerked by a string, and his address corresponded very well with his appearance. Never did that prim mouth give way before a laugh. Prim a f- mouth. Prim mouth. Ooh, you would uh, prim mouth? A prim little mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. A faint and misty smile was the widest departure from its propriety, and this unaccustomed disturbance made wrinkles in the flat, skinny cheeks like those in the surface of a lake after the intrusion of a stone. Master Horner knew well what belonged to the pedagogical character, and that facial solemnity stood high on the list of indispensable qualifications. He had made up his mind before he left his father's house how he would look during the term. He had not planned any smiles, knowing that he must board round, and it was not for ordinary occurrences to alter his arrangements, so that when he was betrayed into a relaxation of the muscles, it was in such a sort that as if he were putting his bread and butter in jeopardy. This, I, this, I love this guy. He sounds great. I want to be his friend. I want to know everything about him. Well, just buckle your <laughs> Just you wait. Just you wait. Truly, he had a grave time that first winter. The rod of power was new to him, and he felt it his duty to use it more frequently than might have been thought necessarily by those upon whose sense the privilege had palled. Tears and sulky faces and impotent fists doubled fiercely when his back was turned were the rewards of his conscientiousness. And the boys and girls, too, were glad when working time came round again and the master went home to help his father on the farm. But with the autumn came Master Horner again, dropping among us as quietly as the faded leaves and awakening at least as much serious reflection, 
Would he be as self-sacrificing as before, postponing his own ease and comfort to the public good? Or would he have become more sedentary and less fond of circum circumambulating the schoolroom with a switch over his shoulder? Many were fain to hope he might have learned to smoke during the summer, an accomplishment <laughs> which would probably have moderated his energy not a little <laughs> and disposed him rather to reverie than to action. But here he was, and all the broader chester... I'm sorry, and all the broader chested and stouter armed for his labors in the harvest field. Uh -oh. So he's jacked. He's now back. He's jacked and he's holding that ruler. He's like fucking Bane. He's fucking jacked with a prim little mouth. <laughs> and, and he has that fucking cat and nine tails over his shoulder. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a bad girl. <laughs> um, over what? here, teacher. Teacher, Master teacher. Horny. My blackboard. Let it not be supposed that Master Horny. The strap Horn. around my books came undone. <laughs> Uh-oh, I dropped uh -oh, it. My plats. <laughs> Let it not be supposed that Master Horner was of a cruel and ogreish nature. A babe-eater. A Herod. One who delighted in torturing the helpless. Such souls there may be, and among those endowed with the awful control of the feral, but they are rare in the flesh and natural regions we describe. So this this teacher knocks on her door and he's like, Why are you writing this about me? And she's like, I don't know what you mean. It's realism. She's like, It's realism. I'm trying to make you humanity. Me. What do you want? I write the truth. And everybody's like, get the fuck out of our town. Why? Why? I named, I named the town. Ostracized. I named, I named this town. That's just another reason. Get out. <laughs> it is, we believe, where young gentlemen are to be crammed for college. The process of hardening heart and skin together goes on most vigorously. Yet among the Toxic uneducated. masculinity. Mm-hmm. There is so high a respect for bodily strength that it is necessary for the schoolmaster to show, first of all, that he possesses this inadmissible requisite for his place. The rest is more readily taken for granted. Brains he may have, a strong arm he must have. So he proves the most important claim first. We must therefore make all due allowance for Master Horner, who could not be expected to overtop his position so far as to discern at once the philosophy of teaching." He was sadly browbeaten during his first term of service by a great broad-shouldered lout of some 18 years or so who thought he needed a little more schooling, but at the same time felt quite competent to direct the manner and measure of his attempts. You'd ought to begin with a large hand, Joshua. Joshua. <laughs> Joshua. Said Master Horner to this youth. What should I want a coarse hand for? Said the disciple with great contempt. Coarse hand won't never do me no good. I want a fine hand copy. Don't know what that means. The master looked at this like infant nice giant. handwriting. <laughs> and did as he wished. I want nice handwriting. <laughs> the master looked at the infant giant and did as he wished. But we say not with secret. I'm sorry. But we say not with what secret resolutions. At another time, Master Horner, having had a hint from someone more knowing than himself, proposed to his elder scholars to write after dictation, expatiating at the same time quite floridly, the ideas having been supplied by the knowing friend, upon the advantages likely to arise from this practice, and saying, among other things, it will help you when you write letters to spell the words good. <laughs> uh, well. Spell the words well? Poo. Or actually not even that. Spell the words correctly. <laughs> Spell um, words good. Poo, said Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> Spelling ain't nothing. Let them that finds the mistakes correct them. I'm for everyone's having a way of their own. How dared you be so saucy to the master? <laughs> Asked one of the little, little boys after school. Spot. 
because I could lick him easy, said the hopeful Joshua, who knew very well why the master did not undertake him on the spot. Can we wonder what Master Horner determined to make his empire good as far as it went? A new examination was required on the entrance into the second term, and with whatever secret trepidation, the master was obliged to submit. Our law prescribes examinations, but forgets to provide for the competency of the examiners, so that few better farces offer than the course of question and answer on these occasions. We know not precisely what were the Master Horner's trials, but we have heard of a sharp dispute between between the inspectors, whether A-N-G-E-L spelt angle or angel. Uh-oh. Angle had it. And the school maintained that the pronunciation ever after. No. Master Horner <laughs> Incorrect. <passed>. Master <laughs> so Horner. This guy's a thick, mean, thick. Thick, mean, thick. Teacher. He's both thick of body and mind. Master Horner passed, and he was requested to drop the certificate for the inspectors to sign, as one had left his spectacles at home and the other had a bad cold, so it was not convenient for either to write more than his name. Master Horner's ex exhibition of learning on this occasion did not reach us, but we know that it must have been considerable since he stood the ordeal. Uh, what is orthography? said an inspector once in our presence. The candidate writhed a good deal, studied the beams overhead and the chickens out the window and then replied, it is so long since I first learned the first part of the spelling book that I can't justly answer that question, <laughs> but I could just look it over. I guess I could. Our schoolmaster entered but, like, <laughs> I so appreciate you asking. <laughs> And I applaud you <laughs> for thinking to ask the question, which at one point I could have answered. Also, oh, he's saying this while like looking at the chickens. He's like, hmm, <laughs> um, mm. our schoolmaster entered upon his second term with new courage and invigorated authority. Twice certified, who should dare doubt his competency? Even Joshua was civil and lesser louts, of course, obsequious, though the girls took more liberties for they feel even at that early age that influence is stronger than strength. True. Mm. The girls have it. Could a young schoolmaster think of ferruling a girl with her hair and ringlets and a gold ring on her finger? Impossible. And the immunity extended to all the little sisters and cousins. Good. And there were enough large girls to protect. As is right. Oh, I like this. And there were enough large girls to protect all the feminine part of the school. With the boys, Master Horner still had many a battle. And whether with a view mm. to this or as an economical ruse, he never wore his coat in school, saying it was too warm. Perhaps it was astute attention to the prejudices of his employers who love that no man does not earn his living by the sweat of his brow. The shirt sleeves gave the idea of a manual labor school in one sense, at least. This is like how my friend Alex at work is from Minnesota, and when it's cold here, he refuses to wear a jacket. Mm. He's like, this is not cold. This is nothing. It's like, okay, I get it that it's like sub-zero mm -hmm. in Minnesota. It doesn't mean it's not cold here. Yeah, also like... Put on a jacket, you stubborn boy. Also, like, once you're here, like, most... A lot of people I know who are, like, from Chicago or whatever mm -hmm. are like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, once you're once you're here for, like, two years... You're used to the weather here. He's been here for two years. Oh, he should be Still used to it. Still refuses. Should be used to it by now. Yeah. Oh, sorry. He's from North Dakota, not Minnesota. How dare you slander his name? I'm sorry. <laughs> he is North Dakota's favorite son. It was evident that the master worked and that afforded a probability that the scholars worked, worked too. It. Master's Horn master Horner's success was most triumphant that winter. A year's growth had improved his outward man exceedingly, filling out the limbs so that they did not remind you so forcibly of a young colt's, and supplying <laughs> the cheeks with the flesh and blood so necessary where mustaches were not 
worn. Experience okay. had given him a degree of confidence, and confidence gave him power. In and short, power gave him hotness. Ooh! In short, people said that the master had waked up, and so he had. <laughs> the master is risen. <laughs> he is risen indeed, baby. He actually set about reading for improvement. And although at the end of the term, he could not quite make out from his historical studies which side Hannibal was on, yet this is readily explained by the fact that he boarded round and was obliged to read generally by firelight, surrounded by ungoverned children. After this, Master Horner made his own bargain. When school time came around with the following autumn and the teacher presented him for a third examination, such a test was pronounced no longer necessary. And the district consented to engage him at the astounding rate of $16 a month. Are you fucking kidding He's failing upward. That is wealth. With the understanding that he was to have a fixed home, provided he was willing to allow a dollar a week for it. Master Horner bethought him of the successive killing times and consequent donuts of the 20 families in which he had sojourned the years before and consented to the exaction. I don't know what any of that means. (laughs) Behold our friend now, as high as district teacher can ever hope to be, his scholarship established, his home stationary and not revolving, and the good behavior of the community ensured by the fact that he, being of age, had now a farm to retire upon in case of any disgust. Master Horner was at once the preeminent beau of the neighborhood, spite of the prejudice against learning. He brushed his hair straight up in front and wore a sky blue ribbon for a guard to his silver watch and walked as if the tall heels of his blunt boots were eggshells and not leather. So he's tiptoeing around everywhere. He's got hair straight up and he's wearing a blue ribbon around his watch. He is living his best (laughs) life. Everywhere he walks. Stomping all around that town. Um, I woke up like this. <laughs> I woke up like this. He was you flawless. <laughs> yet he was far from neglecting the duties of his place. He was beau only on Sundays and holidays. Very schoolmaster the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was at a spelling school that Master Horner first met the educated eyes of Miss Harriet Bangle. Oh, enter the dame. A young lady visiting the Englehearts in our neighborhood. She was from one of the towns of Western New York. And had brought Yeah, brought with her a variety of city air and graces, somewhat caricatured, set off with year old French fashions, much travestied. Whether <laughs> much she had, travestied. Whether she had been sent like, out to oh, the country. Sweetheart. Oh your year old fashions are much travesty. I love that travesty look for you. Like not for me, but for I you. I wouldn't, but you're pulling it off. You can like pull it off because you have that like devil may care attitude. You have that like pear shape. You have that, that like pulls it off. You like walk in a room and it's like, I don't give a fuck what I look like. <laughs> And I respect that. I respect that you don't care how you look. Because, like, honestly, like, I think you would die otherwise. (laughs) Whether she had been sent out to the new country to try somewhat late a rustic chance for an establishment or whether her company had been found rather trying at home, we cannot say. (laughs) The view which she was at some pains to make understood was that her friends had contrived this method of keeping her out of the way of a desperate lover whose addresses were not acceptable to them. Mm. It should seem surprising that so high-bred a visitor should be so sojourning in the wild woods. It must be remembered that more than one celebrated Englishman and not a few distinguished Americans have farmer brothers in the Western country. No whit less rustic in their exterior and manner of life than the plainest of their neighbors. When these are visited by the refined kinsfolk, we of the woods catch glimpses of the gay world or think we do 
<laughs> but we're wrong. And then there's like a poem. I don't know why. That great medicine hath with its tinct gilded. Many a vulgarism to the satisfaction of wiser heads than ours. Mm, okay. Okay. Uh-oh. End of story. End of story. <laughs> that was good. I liked that. I think what she was trying to say there was... I don't know how to get out of editing. Um, Push or like scroll and then there'll be a blue check mark. Great. in the Yeah. Miss Bangle's manner bespoke for her that high consideration which she felt to be her due. Yet she condescended to be amused by the rustics and their awkward attempts at gaiety and elegance. And to say the truth... Few of the village merrymakings escaped her, though she wore always the air of great superiority. The spelling school is the one of ordinary winter amusements in the country. It occurs once in a fortnight or so and has power to draw out all the young people for miles around, arrayed in their best clothes and their holiday behavior. When all is ready, umpires are elected, and after these have taken the distinguished place usually occupied by the teacher, the young people of the school choose the two best scholars to head the opposing classes. This is a spelling bee? The interesting... <laughs> But it's like the talk of the town. It's the talk of the county, it sounds like. These leaders choose their followers from the mass, each calling a name in turn until all the spellers are ranked on one side or the other, lining the sides of the room and all standing. The schoolmaster, standing too, takes his spelling book and gives a placid yet awe-inspiring look among the ranks, remarking that he intends to be very impartial and that he shall give out nothing that is not in the spelling book. For the first half hour or so, he chooses common and easy words, that the spirit of the evening may not be damped by too early thinning of the classes. When a word is missed, the blunderer has to sit down and be a spectator only for the rest of the evening. At certain intervals, some of the best speakers mount the platform and speak a piece, which is generally as declamatory as possible. The excitement of the scene is equal I to that. I love of- hearing about old-timey entertainment. Like, this is... Like, I know. How about we all go to the biggest town. We all dress in our we finest all dress clothes. dress in our finest with our holiday spirits. And we have a competition. Of who amongst us is the greatest speller? And during <laughs> of which, we get an orator up to speak a poem. And cider will be had. And it Man, shall be most I wish impartial. TV existed. <laughs> <laughs> the excitement of this scene is equal to that afforded by any sp- city spectacle, whatever. And towards the close of the evening, when difficult and unusual words are chosen to confound the small number of people who still keep the floor, it becomes scarcely less than painful. When perhaps only one or two remain to be puzzled, the master, weary at last of his task, although a favorite one, tries by tricks to put down those whom he cannot overcome in a fair fight. If among all the curious, useless, unheard of words which may be picked out of the spelling book, he cannot find one which the scholars have not noticed, he gets the last head down by some quip or catch. Bay will perhaps be the sound. One scholar spells it B-E-Y, another B-A-Y, while the master all the time means ba, which comes within the rule being in the spelling book. Rude. It was one of these occasions, as we have said, that Miss Bangle, having come to the spelling school to get materials for a letter to a female friend, first shone upon Mr. Horner. Oh. She was excessively amused by his his solemn air and puckered mouth and set him down (laughs) at once as fair game. Yet she could not help becoming somewhat interested in the spelling school. And after it was over, found she had not stored up half as many of the schoolmaster's points as she intended for the benefit of her correspondent. In the evening's contest, a young girl from some few miles distance, Ellen Kingsbury, the only child of a substantial farmer, had been the very 
last to sit down after a prolonged effort on the part of Mr. Horner to puzzle her for the credit of his own school. Oh, he's the master of it. Mr. Horner. She blushed and smiled and blushed again, but spelt on until Mr. Horner's cheeks were crimson with excitement and some touch of shame (laughs) that he should be baffled at his own weapons. At length, either by accident or design, Ellen missed a word and sinking into her seat was numbered with the slain. In the laugh and talk which followed, for with the conclusion of the spelling, all form of a public assembly vanishes, our schoolmaster said so many gallant things to his fair enemy and appeared so much animated by the excitement of the contest that Miss Bangle began to look upon him with rather more respect. And to feel somewhat indignant that a little rustic like Ellen should absorb the entire attention of the only beau. (laughs) Stop (laughs) looking at my (laughs) nine-year-old. Pay attention to me. She put on, therefore, her most gracious aspect and mingled in the circle, (laughs) caused the schoolmaster to be presented to her and did her best to fascinate him by certain airs and graces which she had found successful elsewhere. What game is too small for the close woven net of a coquette? Mr. Horner quitted not the fair Ellen until he handed her into her father's sleigh. And he then wended his way homewards, never thinking that he ought to have escorted Miss Bangle to her uncle's. Though she clearly waited a little while for his return. We must not follow into particulars the subsequent intercourse of our schoolmaster with the civilized young lady. All that concerns us is the result of Miss Bangle's benevolent designs upon his heart. She tried most sincerely to find its vulnerable spot, meaning no doubt to put Mr. Horner on his guard for the future. And she was unfeignedly surprised to discover that her best efforts were of no avail. She concluded he must have taken a counterpoison and he was not (laughs) slow in guessing its source. And she was not slow. And she was not slow in guessing its source. She had observed the particular peculiar fire which had lighted up his eyes in the presence of Ellen Kingsbury <laughs> and she bethought her of a plan which would ensure her some amusement at the expense Fucking of these Ellen Kingsbury impertinent rustic, rustic. <laughs> <laughs> though in a manner different somewhat from her original more natural idea of simple coquetry you'll move well I see you and I raise you the remainder of the story <laughs> There's another story underneath it, so don't get freaked out by how much is left. Okay. <clears throat> a letter was written to Master Horner pur- purporting to come from Ellen Kingsbury, worded so artfully that the schoolmaster understood at once that it was intended to be a secret communication. Totally written by what's-her-name. Uh-huh. Though its ostensible object was an inquiry about some ordinary affair. This was laid in Mr. Horner's desk before he came to school with an intimation that he might leave an answer in a certain spot the following morning. The bait took it once for Mr. Horner, honest and true himself, and much smitten with the fair Ellen, was too happy to be circumspect. The answer was duly placed and is duly carried to Miss Bangle by her accomplice, Joe Anglehart, an unlucky pickle who is always for ill, never for good, oh, and who man. found no difficulty in obtaining the letter unwatched since the master was obliged to be in school at nine and Joe could always linger a few minutes later. Oh, I want to call someone an unlucky pickle. Unlucky pickle. <laughs> this answer being opened and laughed at, Miss Bangle had only to contrive a rejoinder, which being rather more particular in its tone than the original communication, let on yet again the happy schoolmaster who branched out into sentiment, taffeta phrases, silken terms precise, talked of hills and dales and rivulets and the pleasures of friendship and concluded, excuse me, 
bit of a stuffy nose all of a sudden. Mm. Him concluded by entreating a continuance of the cor- correspondence. Another letter and another, everyone more flattering and encouraging than the last, so mean, almost <laughs> turned the sober head of our poor master and warmed up his heart so effectually that he could scarcely attend to his business. The spelling schools were remembered, however, and Ellen Kingsbury made one of the merry company, but the latest letter had not forgotten to caution Mr. Horner not to betray the intimacy so that he was in honor bound to restrict himself to the language of the eyes hard as it was to forbear this single whisper for which he would have given his very dictionary. So their meeting passed off without the explanation with which Miss Bangle began to fear would cut short her benevolent amusement. The correspondence was resumed with renewed spirit and carried on until Miss Bangle, though not overburdened with sensitiveness, began to be a little alarmed for the consequences of her malicious pleasantry, She perceived that she herself had turned schoolmistress and that Master Horner, instead of merely being her dupe, had become her pupil too, for the style of his replies had been constantly improving, and the earnest and manly tone which he assumed promised anything but the quiet, sheepish pocketing of injury and insult upon which she had counted. She's like... Like... She's just like writing erotica back and forth with him. (laughs) And he thinks it's Ellen? She is like, through practice, he's getting better at writing love letters. And she thought that she was just going to use this to embarrass him or something. Oh, but now she's like, but damn, these letters are hot. Yes. So she was trying to get back at him for like, not wanting to be with her. Or was she oh, going to okay. be like, "Twas I that you were writing letters to? Yeah, or just like to amuse herself, but is finding that he is like fully falling in love with her? Yeah, with who he thinks is Ellen. It's like a shitty you've got mail. Because you've got an unlucky pickle delivering these letters. Yeah, that pickle. Getting yourself into a pickle. In truth, there was something deeper than vanity in the feelings with which he regarded Ellen Kingsbury. The encouragement which he su- <clears throat> sorry, my allergies are getting to me. The encouragement which he supposed himself to have received threw down the barrier which his extreme bashfulness would have interposed between himself and anyone who possessed charms enough to attract him. And we must excuse him if, in such a case, he did not criticize the mode of encouragement, but rather grasp eagerly the proffered good without a scruple, or one which he would own to himself as to the propriety with which it was tendered. This is like hot priest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He was as much in love as a man can be, and the seriousness of real attachment gave both grace and dignity to his once awkward diction. The evident determination of Mr. Horner to come to the point of asking Papa brought Miss Bangle to a very awkward pass. <laughs> also, like I'm picturing at the spelling bees, he's like, I fucking Ellen. Yeah, she's she's totally like, Lee is. And she's like, uh-huh, okay. She's like, look, I just want to win. <laughs> this was fun. Okay, I'm gonna go over by the cider again. <laughs> She had expected to return home before matters had proceeded so far, but being obliged to remain some time longer, she was equally afraid to go on and leave off, a denouement being almost certain to ensue in either case. Oh, my God. 
So she just Things in it. stood thus when it was time to prepare for the grand exhibition, which was to close no. the winter's term. Oh, no. This is an affair of too much magnitude to be fully described in the small space yet remaining in which to bring out our voracious history. It must be slubbered or in haste. It's important preliminaries left to the cold imagination of the reader. It's fine spirit perhaps evaporating for want of being embodied in words. We can only say that our master, whose school life was to close with the term, labored as a man never before labored in such a cause, resolute to trail a cloud of glory after him when he left us. Not a candlestick nor a curtain that was attainable, either by coaxing or bribery, was left in the village. Even the only piano, that frail treasure, was wiled away and placed in one cor corner of the rickety stage. The most splendid of all the pieces in the Colombian orator, the American speaker. The, but we must not enumerate, in a word, the most astounding and pathetic specimens of eloquence within ken of either teacher or scholars had been selected for the occasion— and several young ladies and gentlemen whose academical course had been happily concluded at an earlier period, either at our own institution or at some other, had consented to lend themselves to the parts and their choicest decorations for the properties of the dramatic portion of the entertainment. Dude, these are basically orgies. They are putting on plays. <laughs> They're putting on plays. Among these last was pretty Ellen Kingsbury, oh. who had agreed to personate the Queen of Scots in the garden scene from Schiller's tragedy of Mary Stuart. And this circumstance accidentally afforded Master Horner the opportunity he had so long desired oh no. oh my God. of seeing his fascinating correspondent without the presence of peering eyes. Oh my God, no, I can't. A dress rehearsal occupied the afternoon before the day of the days. Oh. And the pathetic expostulations of the lovely Mary, mine all doth hang, my life, my destiny, upon my words, upon the force of tears, aided by the long veil and the emotion which sympathy brought into Ellen's countenance, proved too much for the enforced prudence of Master Horner. When the rehearsal was over and like the crazy. heroes and heroines were to return home, it was found that by a stroke of witty invention not new in the country, country the harness of mr kingbury's horses had been cut in several places his whip hidden his buffalo skin spread on the ground and this sleigh turned bottom upwards on them what jeez so someone just like vandalized their stuff or he fell <laughs> yeah so he just flipped over her dad's sleigh in like lust and cut all the harnesses off the horses so they would run away with the hopes so that I'm getting to it. This afforded an excuse for the masters borrowing a horse and sleigh of somebody and claiming the privilege of taking Miss Ellen home while her father returned with only Aunt Sally and a great bag of bran from the mill. Companions about equally interesting. Oh God. So he's like, yes, I'm like doing this. She's gonna be so happy. It's just gonna be me and her. Oh my God, stop. Here so then horrible. was the golden opportunity oh, no. so long wished for. Here was the power of ascertaining at once what is never quite certain until we have heard it from warm, living lips, whose testimony is strengthened by glances in which the whole soul speaks or seems to speak. Oh. 
The time was short, for the slaying was but too fine. And Father Kingsbury, having tied up his harness and collected his scattered equipment, was driving so close behind that there was no possibility of lingering for a moment. Yet many moments were lost before Mr. Horner, very much in earnest, and all unhackneyed in manners of this sort, could find a word in which to clothe his newfound feelings. The horse seemed to fly. The distance was half past, and at length, in absolute despair of anything better, he blurted out at once what he had determined to avoid. No. A direct reference to the correspondence. No. Uh, no. A game at cross purposes ensued. Exclamations and explanations and denials and apologies filled up the time which was to have made Master Horner so blessed. Oh, my God. The light from Mr. King's King Kingsbury's windows shone upon the path, and the whole result of this conference so longed for was a burst of tears from the perplexed and mortified Ellen, who sprang from Mr. Horner's attempts to detain her, rushed into the house without vouchsafing him a word of adieu, and left him standing, no bad personification of Orpheus, after the last hopeless flitting of his Eurid... I know how to say this. Eurid... Eurydice. Eurid to say i have no idea eurydice greek eurydice eurydice i think won't you light master said mr kingsbury yes no thank you oh my god good evening stammered poor master horner so stupefied that even aunt sally called him a dummy the horse took the sleigh against the fence going home and threw out the master who scarcely recollected the accident while to Ellen the issue of this unfortunate drive was a sleepless night and so high a fever in the morning that our village doctor was called to Mr. Kingsbury's before breakfast. Poor Master Horner's distress may hardly be imagined. Disappointed, bewildered, cut to the quick, yet as much in love as ever, he could oh. only in bitter silence turn over in his thoughts the issue of his cherished dream— now persuading himself that Ellen's denial was the effect of a sudden bashfulness, now inveighing against the fickleness of the sex, as all men do when they are angry with any one woman in particular. But his exhibition must go on in spite of wretchedness, and he went about mechanically talking of curtains and candles and music and attitudes. Oh my and god, I forgot that, that was just the dress rehearsal. Yeah, I did too. Uh, Looking like a somnambulist whose eyes are open but their senses shut and often surprising those concerned by the utter unfitness of his answers. It was almost evening when Mr. Kingsbury, having discovered through the invention of the doctor and Aunt Sally the cause of Ellen's distress, made his appearance before the unhappy eyes of Master Horner, angry, solemn, and determined, taking the, <clears throat> excuse me, taking the schoolmaster apart and requiring an explanation of his treatment of his daughter. In vain did the Perplexed lover asked for time to clear himself, declare his respect for Miss Ellen, and his willingness to give every explanation which she might require. The father was not to be put off, and though excessively reluctant, oof, Mr. Horner had no resource but to show the letters, no, which alone stop. could account stop. for his strange discourse to Ellen. Oh well, I mean, I, of course, right? Because if you were you him, have you'd to have show to. the receipt, you have to be like, I'm not. It's like crazy. showing screenshots. Yes. He unlocked his desk, slowly and unwillingly, while the old man's impatience was such that he could scarcely forbear thrusting in his own hand to snatch at the papers which were to explain this vexatious mystery. 
What could equal the utter confusion of Master Horner and the contemptuous anger of the father when no letters were to be found? What? Unfair. (laughs) Oh, my God. Mr. Kingsbury was too passionate to listen to reason or to reflect for one moment upon the irreproachable good name of the schoolmaster. He went away in inexorable wrath, threatening every practicable visit visitation of public and private justice upon the head of the offender whom he accused of having attempted to trick his daughter into an entanglement which should result in his favor a doleful exhibition was this last one of our thrice approved and most worthy teacher stern necessity and the power of habit enabled him to go through with most of his part but where was the proud fire which had lighted up his eye on similar occasions before He sat as one of three judges before whom the unfortunate Robert Emmett was dragged in his shirt sleeves by two fierce-looking officials, but the chief judge looked far more like a criminal than did the proper representative. He ought to have have personated Othello, but was obliged to excuse himself from raving for the handkerchief, the handkerchief, on the rather anomalous plea of a bad cold. Mary Stewart being the eye... Being I the Bond, um, these are in quotes because they're lines from the play, Mm. was anxiously expected by the impatient crowd. And it was with distress amounting to agony that the master was obliged to announce in person the necessity of omitting that part of the representation on account of the illness of one of the young ladies. Oh, my God. Scarcely had the words been uttered and the speaker hidden his burning face behind the curtain when Mr. Kingsbury started up in his place amid the throng (gasps) to give a public recital of his grievance. No No! uncommon resort in the new country. He dashed at once to the point and before some friends who saw the utter impropriety of his proceeding could persuade him to defer his vengeance, he had laid before the assembly, some 300 people perhaps, his own statement of the case. He was got out at last, half coaxed, half hustled, and the gentle public, only half understanding what had been set forth thus unexpectedly, made quite a pretty row of it. Some clamored loudly for the conclusion of the exercises. Others gave utterances in no particularly choice terms of a variety of opinions as to the schoolmaster's proceedings, varying the note occasionally by shouting, the letters, the letters, why don't you bring out the letter? Oh my, her emails! <laughs> But her email. Oh my god! This is hor- where are the- she took the letters? Right? Lock she made her the pickle do up. it. Yeah, she made that pickle take those letters. <laughs> you know it. Yeah, where the fuck is Little Miss City Girl? Yeah, I, she's been quiet this whole she's time. She's just like off in the corner, going, "Oh, she's like, oh shit! Oh no!" At length, by means of much rapping on the desk by the president of the evening, who was fortunately a popular character. Order was partially restored on the favorite scene from Miss Moore's dialogue of or Miss Moore. Miss Moore's dialogue of David and Goliath was announced as the closing piece. Wait, they're still going through this fucking like. Yeah. So so this dad jumps up and is like, this motherfucker turned over my carriage (laughs) to trick my daughter into going home and tried to gaslight her into thinking that they were corresponding and then like so he could marry her and everybody's like show us the receipts and then they're like calm down calm down anyway so the play (laughs) (laughs) what a mess (laughs) what a bitch 
I know. The side of little David in a white tunic edged with red tape with a calico scrip and a very primitive looking sling and a huge Goliath decorated with a militia belt and sword and a spear like a weaver's beam indeed and chained everybody's attention. Even the peccant peccant schoolmaster and his pretended letters were forgotten while the sapient Goliath every time he raised that spear the spear in the energy of his declamation to thump upon the stage picked away fragments of the low ceiling which fell conspicuously on his great shock of black hair at last with the crowning threat up went the spear for an astounding thump and down came a large piece of the ceiling <gasps> what and with it a shower of letters what oh my god <laughs> the confusion that ensued beggars all description a general scramble took place, and in another moment, 20 pairs of eyes, at least, were feasting on the choice phrases lavished upon Mr. Horner. Miss Bangle had sat through the whole previous scene, trembling for herself, although she had, as she supposed, guarded cunningly against exposure. She had needed no profit to tell her what must be the result of a tete-a-tete between Mr. Horner and Ellen. And the moment she saw them drive off together, she induced her imp to seize the opportunity of abstracting the whole parcel of letters from Mr. Horner's desk. That fucking pickle. That pickle. Which he did by means of a sort of skill which comes by nature to such goblins, picking the lock by the aid of a crooked nail, as neatly as if he had been born within the shadow of the tombs. But magicians sometimes suffer severely from the malice with which they have themselves inspired their familiars. Joe Englehart, having been a convenient tool thus far, thought it quite time to torment Miss Bangle a little. Oh. So having stolen the letters at her bidding, he hid them on his own account, and no persuasions of hers could induce him to reveal this important secret, which he chose to reserve as a rod in case she refused him some intercession with his father or some other accommodation rendered necessary by his mischievous habits. How the pickle got his groove back. Yeah. You stand up for yourself, little pickle. Mm -hmm. He had concealed the previous parcels in the unfloored loft above the schoolroom, a place accessible only by means of a small trap door without staircase or ladder. And here he meant to have kept them while it suited his purposes, but for the untimely intrusion of the weaver's beam. Miss Bangle had sat through all, as we have said, thinking the letters safe, yet vowing vengeance against her confederate for not allowing her to secure them by a satisfactory conflagration. And it was not until she heard her own name whispered through the crowd that she was awakened to her true situation. The sagacity, sagacity? I don't know. Um, I think that's what it is. The sag sagacity of the low creatures whom she had despised showed them at once that the letters must be hers, since her character had been pretty shrewdly guessed and the handwriting wore a more practiced air than is usual among females in the country. This was first taken for granted and then spoken of as an acknowledged fact. The assembly moved like the heavings of a troubled sea. Everybody felt this was everybody's business. <laughs> Put her out was heard from more than one rough voice near the door, and this was responded to by loud and angry murmurs from within. Mr. Englehart, not waiting to inquire into the merits of the case of the case in this scene of confusion, hastened to get his family out as quietly and as quickly as possible. But groans and hisses followed his niece as she hung half fainting on his arm, quailing completely beneath the instinctive indignation of the rustic public. As she passed out, a yell resounded among the rude boys about the door, and she was lifted into the sleigh, insensible from terror. 
She disappeared from that evening, and no one knew the time of her final departure for the East. Mr. Kingsbury, who is a just man when he is not in a passion, made all the reparation in his power for his harsh and ill-considered attack upon the master, and we believe that perfunctionary did not show any traits of implacability of character. At least he was seen, not many days after, sitting peaceably at tea with Mr. Kingsbury, Aunt Sally, and Miss Ellen, and he has since gone home to build a house upon his farm. And people do say that after a few months more, Ellen will not need Miss Bangles' intervention if she should see fit to correspond with the schoolmaster. Oh, man. Fuck you, Miss Bangle. Miss Bangle, what a shitster. That was exciting. That was exciting. I liked that. I liked it too. <laughs> I, you know what? I usually ah, like the. I keep s- knocking my table around. <laughs> I usually like the stories by women. Yeah. The humorous ones by women are funny. Yeah. Usually. Yeah, that was good. That was funny. That was funny. Although I definitely see why the people in her town were like, um. Yeah. What are you writing? Yep. <laughs> no, because everyone is like pretty embarrassingly written about. They're all like super countryfied. Yes. Like, can you believe these yokels enjoying a spelling bee? But I know. Then at the same time, she's like, this fucking city bitch waltzed in yeah, with I know. city bitch ways. I know. I so, liked it. Mm, she uh, she speaks truth to power. <laughs> <laughs> she does. Um, thank you all so much for donating. We really, really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers for listening in on another installment of Public Domain Theater. Uh, we never know what we're doing. Nope. So, you know, who knows what we're doing next time? You know the deal. You know the deal. So, keep it cultured. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Kelly Nugent, Lindsay Katai, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered and mastered by Alex Sarche. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.